This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Green Pulse, a podcast series by The Straits Times, where we analyze the beats of the changing environment, from biodiversity conservation to climate change. I'm your host Audrey Tan, and I cover science and environment for The Straits Times. My co-host is David Fogarty. Hi, I'm David, and I'm the climate change editor at The Straits Times. It's May 20, and World's Ocean Day on June 8 is just around the corner. This year's theme focuses on life and livelihoods, the richness of the oceans, and the millions of people who rely on the seas for a living. Life and livelihoods, though, are under threat in many parts of the globe. Some fish stocks are being depleted by overfishing. Other areas face added pressure from illegal fishing. It is estimated that one in five wild-caught fish is illegally sourced, robbing legitimate fishermen and businesses of much-needed income. So, to tell us more about this, we're joined today by Mr. Peter Horn, Project Director. Ending illegal fishing at Pew Charitable Trusts. Welcome to the show, Peter. Thank you. So, Peter, maybe you could start off by telling us how serious illegal, unreported, and unregulated fishing is, and why is it so lucrative? Well, the thing is, it is big, big business, and it's one which is not fully controlled. So, we think about some of the figures that are bandied around, and the export value of fisheries, wild caught fisheries, is up to about 164 billion dollars a year. And that's actually only for about thirty-eight, forty percent of the fish that is caught or farmed. And as it happens out at sea, some countries don't have the capacity to monitor what's happening in their waters. They don't have the capability to properly inspect when the fish is landed, and they don't have the political appetite to pursue in the courts.、And、the impact of this is huge. Stealing fish means that scientists don't know what stock levels to set to help set quotas, and the business surrounding that systematic stealing. Is corrupt and corrupting. Too often, people just think of this as an environmental crime, and of course it is. But it's also a huge threat to security, food security, economic security, individual security, and national security. So it's a really serious issue. So maybe we could just build on what you just said and tell us a bit more about how illegal fishing is having an impact on the men in the street. I mean, we know what goes on in the high seas is not desirable. But would that have trickle down effects on the rest of society as well? Absolutely, absolutely. Because the people who are stealing this fish, the IUU fishers, prey on the vulnerable. That's people and countries. And so we think about the activity at sea, and it's a long time at sea in often appalling labour conditions. There's abuse. There's privation. It's not safe. That's one of the reasons why the Cape Town Agreement for Fishing Vessel Safety is trying to be brought into law. Because it's trying to actually start protecting some of these fishers at sea. There's bonded labour, and this has got huge impacts for the coastal communities, as the scale of the fishing affects their protein supply, and often it's their people who are taken out to sea and do the fishing on these illegal vessels. People often talk about, you know, 23 billion, one in five wild caught fish being stolen, and that actually hides the real story. In some areas of the world. Two in five fish are stolen. Away from the 23 billion, we've got two percent of the GDP for some countries. Two percent of the GDP is stolen, and it doesn't matter whether that's one billion, six billion. It's two percent of the GDP, and that has got huge impacts. So this is clearly a dirty and dangerous business, and you've just given us a good sense of that. And there was a little bit of a sense of that too in the recent Netflix show, Seaspiracy. So, can you give us one or two examples of how this trade works and how they cover their tracks, and why this is just so difficult to crack down on? 
Yeah, well, as we said before, it's big business. And actually, it's relatively easy to cover the tracks at sea and ashore. If you think about it, 70% of the Earth's surface is water. So that's around about 378 million square kilometres of sea. And a fishing vessel is about 200 metres square. So trying to find an individual fishing vessel which is doing bad acts is sort of like trying to find a grain of sand in Central Park. It's a pretty difficult challenge. But of course, it's increasingly doable. Technology is helping us know where to look, how to look and ask the right questions. But it's still a big challenge. Opacity is one of the real challenges in this area as well. That's not only can we not see the vessels at sea, but the regulations are sometimes confusing. The business establishment is very difficult. There's a lot of shell companies, there's fronts. A lot of the people who are actually conducting the activity of IEU fishing on the water are not the main perpetrators of stealing this fish. It's controlled from ashore. And so when countries don't fully check the landings, that's why the FAO introduced an agreement called the Port State Measures Agreement, where countries are invited to ask questions of fishing vessels before they come into port, ask them where they've caught the fish, and then they can decide whether there's a risk of IUU caught fish being landed in there and they can do the proper inspections. And because it's big business as well, corruption is a problem, especially when developing nations or developed industrialized nations are trying to operate in developing nations. There's a lot of money involved. And so that is one of the big challenges there. And then finally, as it happens over at sea, quite a lot of activity is not properly monitored. One of the big ones would be transshipment at sea, which is the transfer of fish between vessels that are trout at sea for long, long times to refrigerated cargo vessels who bring that into port. Now, if you don't have proper oversight of controls and checks of those vessels, there is a high risk of IEU fish entering the supply chain and undetected. Right. So that makes it a very difficult trade to track. But of course, there are other crimes associated with illegal fishing. You've already alluded to some of them, particularly about poor labor practices, slavery, human trafficking, as well as drug running, arms smuggling, I guess, all seem to be associated with illegal fishing as well. Maybe you can tell us some more about that. Yes, I think the thing to bear in mind is that those who are organizing this systematic abuse of the ocean, this coordinated IEU fishing, rarely only steal fish. It's always associated with multiple crimes. That can be corruption, both ashore, we've talked about the slavery, bonded labor, and the times at sea are actually horrific. People spending two to three years at sea continuously is not nice. I've been in the Royal Navy and spent 11 months in one year where I was at sea. With all the comfort of a, uh, an RN ship, that was still a challenging time for me and my family. But going back to the crimes, tax evasion, documentation fraud are serious things. And they are actually associated with this crime. Money laundering, of course. And then we talk about the trafficking. That's drugs, arms, people. It's all about exploitation of people and resource. And those who are doing it are expert at it. They are professional criminals. So, Peter, you've given us a pretty good overview of the international situation. But here in Asia, there are lots of coastal communities here. So we were wondering whether you could contextualize the discussion to this part of the world. Are there any estimates on the size of the trade here in Asia and the location of any key illegal fishing hotspots that you are aware of? That's a really hard question to answer. The challenge is huge because, you know, say for one part of my campaign, I'm looking at industrialized distant water fleets that are all over the globe some of whom are associated with uh, IUU. 
a number of those distant water fleets are actually based in Asia. Coming closer to home, there are multiple areas of IUU activity close to the Asian shores, whether that be blue bloat activity where uh, small vessels go and steal fish from other countries, including sea cucumber, the clam dynamiting. There's a number of areas of conflict and concern in and around the South China Sea. There are unregulated squid fisheries all over. And there's some other areas where actually, yes, two in five of the fish are taken illegally. So it's a bit like the sea. It's literally all around us. And when I have talked to people in the UK and they say, you know, is there any IUU fishing around here? Yes, there is. And it's all over. And there are various hotspots, but probably not worth highlighting here. Now, if you like what you're hearing so far, do subscribe to our series Green Pulse on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Like us and give us a rating. So, I mean, you already mentioned that monitoring illegal fishing is tough, but how can consumers help? How can we make the right choice? I think that's a great question because it's on all of us to just take a little bit of interest. Our apathy, our lack of wanting to know about the food, the fish that we're eating. Ask the question, where is this fish from? Today, people should be able to tell you where that fish is from. And I would say that most retailers want to sell you sustainable fish. And so there's many different accreditation schemes. People will have heard of MSC or the ASC. There's programs like SALT or Global Dialogue for Seafood Traceability. And there's initiatives like the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. They're all out there. And really, our job as consumer is to ask a question, take the interest, take an interest in it. And as well as asking the retailers, just keep on prompting our governments to actually take their role seriously because they have a vital role in actually policing this. And I think the big market states, in particular the EU, the US, Canada, Japan, are increasingly aware of the role that their income has on this issue. And so they're demanding better governance. They're asking for better standards. And we as consumers should be encouraging that and actually making the choice to go with the things where we can actually see what the traceability is and what the sustainability assessment is. So, Peter, it would be good to hear about more efforts to stop illegal fishing. I understand Pew works closely with Interpol on this issue, and Interpol has quite a sizable program that's been running for quite some time. So perhaps you could tell us more about that partnership. Yeah, well, in 2013, we got together with Interpol uh, Norway and helped fund something called Project Scale. The idea here was to use the power of Interpol to identify, stop and prevent fisheries crime. Interpol is fantastic. It's a great global link with the law enforcement community, and it can assure confidential information flow. It can help assure the chain of evidence. And so we worked with Interpol and they set up this team who have established a fisheries crime working group, which is international, talking about the challenges governments face in addressing IEU fishing. They give great investigative support to countries who ask them when they've got issues that they want to investigate further. A team goes out and helps them. They also do regional and national capacity building, help train the teams who go out and do these inspections. Because inspecting a ship sounds very simple, but there's an awful lot involved in doing that. And of course, they also uh, help establish an alert system so they can warn countries of vessels which are renowned for IEU fishing are particularly sought after for IEU fishing. So that's what we did. And back in 2013, 2015, 
they had some really big successes with fisheries down in the Southern Ocean, where you may have heard of cases like the Thunder and the Kunlun, who were accused of, were actually conducting poaching of Patagonian toothfish, which is often referred to as white gold. And just as an example, this morning when I looked at my computer at the price of Patagonian toothfish in the UK, it's something in the region of £95 a kilogram. Right. So that really underscores just how valuable fishing can be, particularly illegal fishing. And I guess just on those points about the Kunlun and the Thunder, I think it was, uh, weren't the people involved or at least for one of those vessels that were linked to a family in Spain? And it took a lot of effort to finally grab them, right? But it was successful. Absolutely. Yes. And that's one of the things with the EU regulations on fisheries that has enabled them to prosecute EU nationals who profit from IUU fishing wherever it is in the world. They're allowed to be uh, prosecuted. And so there's a good case that was run there. So it sounds as though there's been quite a significant amount of progress in recent years to clamp down on the trade. And I suppose one of the biggest issues, as you mentioned, is training and capacity building, but I guess also greater cooperation between governments. Absolutely. And there's been huge steps. And I think Interpol are key in doing this. And I mentioned the Thunder and Kunlun, but I'd like to mention a case just a couple of years ago, which was a vessel called STS-50. It's a very unglamorous name. That's just one of the names of it. And this was another one of those vessels that had been listed for IUU fishing down for this Patagonian toothfish in the Southern Oceans. And it was initially arrested in China. And unfortunately, it's quite hard to fully impound a vessel. And the owners managed to get it out of port and it fled to the Indian Ocean. And there it was using fake documents and doing some fishing and was seeking to bunker in the region. Well, in the Western Indian Ocean, there's a group of countries on the eastern seaboard of Africa who work together called Fish Eye Africa. They were called Fish Eye Africa then. And they worked together closely and made sure that information flow was good between those countries. And they were trying to implement some of the tools and instruments internationally, things like the Port State Measures Agreement, asking questions before a vessel entered port. And so Mauritius first came across SDS-50 and denied them port access. And so the vessel sailed off towards Mozambique, where, again, the fisheye countries had shared the information. It was inspected, was going to be arrested and fled again. It was tracked out to the extent of national waters and Sea Shepherd helped do that initial tracking. And Interpol then started coordinating the tracking with the regional maritime information fusion centres, one based in Madagascar and one based in Singapore. And they coordinated the tracking of this vessel all the way from the coast of Africa into the waters of Indonesia, where it was eventually arrested, the vessel impounded and prosecutions followed. So you can see how the role of Interpol in actually coordinating that, but the importance of governments and countries sharing information to achieve that prosecution. So, Peter, are you confident that the illegal fishing trade can be totally stopped? Totally stopped is a challenge. Some people will always want to break the law. So therefore, what we can do is help increase the risks of being caught, reduce the profit for those who actually undertake this activity. And that will help reduce the propensity for illegal fishing. And that will help a lot. I like eating fish and I think it's an excellent source of protein. And so I believe that if we greatly reduce or stop IU fishing, we can actually have a managed, sustainable food source there that we need to encourage people to eat. So the trick is not to stop eating fish completely, but to just be more discerning about where they're coming from. 
Absolutely. I would say that the vast majority of the 59.5 million of the people involved in the primary seafood sector, the 260 million people involved in the primary and secondary sector, try to do so legally and they want to do their best sustainably. We need to work to help these people actually achieve that. We need to help governments get good governance. Follow the science and then as consumers, we need to make sure we're asking the questions and realise that we actually need to pay a fair price to eat the fish that people risk their lives for daily so that we can have it on our plate. Thanks, Peter, for joining us today and sharing this excellent food for thought. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap for Green Pulse and we hope you enjoyed our discussion. For more on climate change and the environment, do check out our stories in The Straits Times. And don't forget to subscribe to our Green Pulse podcast series on your favourite audio apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.